I want to welcome you to week number three of our series, Finding Financial Freedom. And if you were here last Sunday, you'll remember that we, we introduced and talked about a very simple plan to find financial freedom that's called the 10-10-80 plan. And what we began to see is that finding financial freedom starts when we honor God by putting God first, and we, we honor God when we take the first 10% of everything that He gives us, and we return it to Him, we give it to Him and do His work. And we saw that the Bible teaches us this principle of, of tithing, that if we honor God and what He asks in this area, He promises that He will honor us. We saw that when we honor him, we, we place ourselves under God's blessing, under God's provision and God's care. And we were just reminded that uh, even if we're not there, even if it takes some time uh, to build up to a full tithe, this is an important journey for us to begin because you really can't expect God to show up and help you achieve financial freedom uh, if you are dishonoring the first financial principle that, that he gives us. And then we introduced the second part of the 101080 plan uh, that is to take another 10% and invest it in some type of savings plan. You could think of it this way with every paycheck you pay yourself. We saw that it's 10% to God, it's 10% into savings, and then the 80% is what is left for us, us to live on. Now, this morning we're going to focus in, we're going to take a lot of time to dig into that second 10%, which is savings. And I'm calling this message Get Rich Slow, because the Bible's teaching on saving and investment is never about getting rich quick, like our culture will advocate. The Bible teaches that wealth, when God gives it, and sometimes he does, it comes about through patience, it comes about through faithfulness, it comes about through dependence on God. Now, this may surprise some of you, but the Bible teaches that it's wise to save and invest. And a lot of people think the Bible is negative about saving money and accumulating money as if somehow the highest virtue is just not to have any. Some of you may even say, well, didn't Jesus say don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth? And actually, when we studied that passage, Matthew 6, 19 through 24, two weeks ago, what we saw was that Jesus wasn't speaking against saving and investment. What he was commanding was that we should not make the accumulation of money the guiding central value of our lives. In reality, Jesus again and again, he, he commends a wise approach to savings. In fact, we actually saw that last week when we looked at one of his most famous stories, one of his parables, and we saw how he used an investment analogy to show us how important it is for us to take what we have and to make the most of that. Do you remember how Jesus told that story about three guys who were each given a sum of money and two of them went out and invested their money and they earned a pretty good return and they brought it back to the, the man who had funded this and they were praised by him. They had done well. But then Jesus says there was a third guy and he just sat on his money. Look what happened when he brought back that original sum uninvested to the master. Luke chapter 19, 20 through 23 says, the next servant said, master, here's your money safe and sound. I kept it hidden in the cellar. To tell you the truth, I was a little afraid. I know you have high standards and hate sloppiness and don't suffer fools gladly. He said, you're right that I don't suffer fools gladly and you've acted the fool. 
why didn't you at least invest the money in security so I would have gotten a little interest on it? Now, I want you to notice, that's the story Jesus told. Jesus told a story about an investment strategy. And Jesus was trying to get us to see that we, to, we take what God has given us and we do what we can to maximize that, to make the most of it. So what does the Bible say about savings? If the Bible's not anti-savings, does it have anything to tell us, to teach us about savings and investment? And it, it really does. It has, in fact, quite a lot. I want to give you some verses from Proverbs that I think you'll find intriguing if you've never heard them before. Proverbs 13, 11 says, Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Now, this is actually our key verse this week, and we're going to come back to this. Then Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 8 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer, that's savings, and gathers its food at harvest. God says, take a look at the ants, learn lessons from the ant. Don't just spray raid on the ants. You know, look at them and see how they work and they prepare and they save. And, and after you've seen and learned the lessons of the ant, then you can spray the raid on the ants. But we're to, we're to learn a lesson for them. It's wise to prepare for the future by saving. And then Proverbs 21, 20 likewise says, the wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. See, God says here and in many other places, I want all my children to live wisely, and wise living includes saving. Now, God has some reasons that he tells us this, and I want to give you this morning three reasons why we should save. Here's the first one, to prepare for future trouble. To prepare for future trouble. Uh, you know, many of us like to claim the promises of God that are found in the Bible, right? We see a promise and we claim it that it'll come true in our lives. God will bring it to pass in our lives. And I want you to know that there's a promise that Jesus once made that I have never heard anyone claim. And here it is. It's John 16, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, here's the promise, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I never heard anybody say, Lord, I claim your promise that I will have trouble. Bring it to pass, Father. Bring it to pass. I'm trusting. We don't do that, do we? But it's true. The Bible makes it so clear that trouble and difficulties and challenges and hardships are just part of life in our fallen, broken world. And we need to prepare for them. And that means we need to save. Do you know that it was about 20 years ago for the very first time in history that the American savings account went actually into the red just for our whole nation? We're living in a time where the vast majority of people just do not save. And when this happens, without savings, what we end up is just living hand to mouth. There's little or nothing in reserve, and a lot of us are right there right now. I read about a national survey done not too long ago that concluded that one half of American adults are living paycheck to paycheck. It said that about one half of American adults have less than $1,000 in their checking and saving accounts. And listen to this, one out of four have less than $100 in reserve. 
And just think about it. If you lost your job, how long would you survive? A week? A month? I mean, how long would it be before you, you lost your home? Uh, the statistics tell us that if income stops, the average American family is only about three to six weeks away from bankruptcy. Now, some, some Christians might say, well, that's okay, I'm trusting God. But I want you to see it's God who is the one who's telling us, save. It's God who's saying to us, that's not faith. That's presumption. Wisdom says you save, so save. And the reality for most of us is that everything is fine as long as the paychecks keep on coming in. But if they stop, then pretty quickly everything falls apart. This is why a wise person saves. But savings also is for more than just emergencies. God says, secondly, that we, we save to provide for our family. See, savings is also about making sure you have what you need for the needs you know you will have. Braces for the kids, college education, weddings, health care, retirement. See, these are not unexpected emergencies. These are absolute, staring us in the face, realities that everyone faces and they cost money. The Bible tells us to be prepared. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I just want to ask, consider this. Have you failed to provide for your family the way God would call you to simply because you haven't been faithful to save? Number three. Why should we save? God says also to promote the work of God's kingdom. Now, many of us probably would never think of this in the area of savings, but God also desires that we save so that we can be generous, so that we can use our resources to share Jesus with many people. Proverbs 10.16 says, The good man's earnings advance the cause of righteousness. You know, I know this is true for some of you in this room. You've had a time in your life when you felt such a strong pull, a strong desire to give generously. You saw this need and you wanted to make an impact, maybe even in a dramatic way, to really see something change so that God could be glorified, so that lives could be, could be transformed. You wanted to give, you wanted to be generous for something, and you couldn't because you didn't have it, and you didn't have it because you hadn't saved. Maybe you would have been able to be generous if you had been more faithful to follow God's plan. In the book of Acts chapter 4, 34 and 35, Luke tells us this, there were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone as he had Need. Now, I know this is a different day, a different time, but can you imagine being able to give away an entire house, to give away lands, real estate, to the work of God's kingdom? There are many committed Christ followers who'd love to be able to give in that way. How could it ever possibly happen? Well, only after faithfulness and saving. Some of you may be thinking right now, well, Mike, I get it. I mean, I want to save. That, that's not my problem. My, my problem is how to save because really, honestly, it's just not there. Well, that's our next question. How? How do we save? How do we 
build a nest egg? What are the principles that will move us out of the uh, spend all you can get a mindset of our culture and move into a biblical and wise and faithful saving of the resources that God has blessed us with. I'm going to give you five principles really, really quickly. And here's the first one. And I just have to tell you ahead of time, this one is very complex. You need to listen, okay? You need to be focused. You need to be paying attention. Are you ready for the first one? Here it is. Spend less than you earn. Do I need to say that again? Let me, let me say it again. Spend less than you earn. Now, this actually falls into the theological category called duh. <laughs> but many people don't seem to understand that it begins here. Right? I mean, let me read Proverbs 21 20 to you again. The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. It is foolish to spend whatever you get. Now, this principle begins with hard choices, and I'd like many of you to, many of you need to write those two words down because you need to keep this in mind hard choices. You're not going to get there without hard choices. Very few of us will ever save without hard choices. You're going to have to make some hard choices to budget, to cut back. You're going to have to make hard choices to do whatever you need to do to spend less than you earn because you will never save otherwise. Number two, once you begin to spend less than you earn, you need to stick with it. Proverbs 21.5 says, Steady plotting brings prosperity. Hasty speculation brings poverty. Uh, the original Hebrew word for steady plotting it, it is a picture of a person who is filling a large barrel of water, one handful after another, after another, after another. And little by little, the barrel is filled to overflowing. I mean, just, just think of how many ways of saving and investing work like this. How, how do you ever pay off a home mortgage? It only happens after years and years and even decades of steady month-by-month -month payments. Financial advisors often re recommend a basic investment strategy that's known as dollar cost averaging, and it, it essentially means that you, you put a set amount of money into an investment on a regular basis. Now, a lot of times people want to, you know, find that, that, that golden time, you know, time the market and get in low and sell high. But if you have a good financial advisor, they'll always tell you that is extremely difficult to do, that markets swing in wildly unpredictable ways. Several years ago, I read that during the first few years of our 21st century, an investment in an S&P index fund would have returned around 12% over this period of time for a few years. But if an investor had missed out during this time on just 10 of the best days, the return would have only been 6.8%, just missing a few days. See, steady plotting is one of the very best ways to invest and save. And I just want you to see it's in the Bible. It's part of God's wisdom See, if you're going to do what God says, you have to be patient. You have to persevere. And far too many of us never save in a substantial way because we just give up and we quit too soon. Here's the third principle. How do we save? Diversify. Uh, any kind of savings actually entails some risks. 
And you might be just surprised to discover that the Bible recognizes this. The Bible encourages diversification of your investments. Ecclesiastes 11.2 says, invest what you have in several different businesses. Why? Because you don't know what disasters might happen. This is real straightforward. You could put it this way, just like your mom or your grandma told you, don't put all your eggs in one basket. The Bible says this is wisdom. Number four, understand the power of compound interest. Now, this is actually something the Bible really talks about. This is one of the most important financial insights you'll ever wrap your arms around. And financial advisors work very hard to get this across, but amazingly, so many people just don't get it. And the secret is found in our key verse that we read a few moments ago. Let me read it again. Proverbs 13, 11 says, He who gathers money little by little makes it grow. And again, this is God's wisdom, and God's wisdom is giving us the secret to saving. You take a little bit of money, and you start it growing. That's it. That's the secret. Financial managers will talk about this as the miracle of compounding interest. And some of you know this well. Let me show you what this is about. Let's just think about a couple. We'll say they're in their mid-30s. And if this couple saved just $10 a day, and not even every day, but just five days a week, that would be $200 a month, or that would be $2,400 a year. If they each did that, the the husband and the wife, that would be $4,800 a year. If that couple in their mid-30s put that much into a pre-tax retirement account that earned 12% annually, by the time they were 65 years old, they would have a nest egg of $2.3 million. $10 a day, each person, $200 a month, each person over a period of time. Now, some of you are right now thinking, well, 12% is really high after the last decade. But historically, it's actually not a bad, unrealistic expectation Uh, Stock market research from the Yale International Center for Finance found that between 1926 and 2000, actual returns from the stock market were almost 11%. Between 1984 and 2004, the returns were 12%, and we know that was even higher during the 1990s. But the real issue here is not not the percentage. We, We just need to get the relationship between interest and time. It's all about interest and time. We must not underestimate the time part. Let me give you another example. Let's say you're single and you're 25 years old. Let's say you do the same thing. You start putting away $200 a month, half of what that couple in their 30s put put away, but you're starting 10 years earlier. By the time you're 65, you would have more than the couple putting in twice as much. That's the difference 10 years would make. I just really want to drive this home because it ought to be a wake-up call to all of us because the Bible's wisdom here is so important to understand. The secret of compounding interest really is time, that over time, money compounds, and over a lot of time, money compounds a lot. Look at the 25-year-old again. If she puts in $200 a month starting in her mid-20s at 12%, by the time she's 65, she'd have over $2.3 million. But if she waits until she's 30, just 60 months, does the same thing, she would only have $1.2 million. If she doesn't start until she's 40, does the same thing, even at $200 every month, every month, she would only have $380,000 by retirement. Do you see the difference time makes? It's huge. 
And there really are no tricks here. Getting the savings, getting the reserves that are needed is nothing more than committing to and sticking with a systematic savings and investment plan and starting it, doing it as soon as you can. That, that's really it. You see, when God says that he who gathers money little by little makes it grow, he means it and it matters. Starting right away really does matter. And Kiplinger.com did an article a few years ago on what it would take to reach 500000 uh, in a savings account by the time you retire at 65. Different scenario here. If you assume 8%, uh, this article said at age 25, you would have to save just $143 a month. So not even $10 a day. That's it. If you're 35, though, and you start then, you haven't saved anything. Now to get there, it takes $335 a month. If you wait until you're 45 to start, it's $849 a month. And if you're 55, are you ready for a depression? You would have to save $27.33 every month. The point is don't wait, not even a single day. It is the miracle of compound interest. It is why the Bible says the person who gathers money little by little really can see it grow, even if you only have $10 a day. Now, here's the last principle I want to give you, and this is important balancing to what we've been talking about. It is, it is save without hoarding. You see, to stay true to what the Bible teaches, we also need to keep this caution in mind. While the Bible encourages saving, it warns us very strongly against greed. And hoarding is just savings taken to an extreme. It is accumulating assets to the point where you begin to think you don't even need to trust in God. You got it covered. It is saving and it is saving and it is saving so that you can possess wealth for many years to come. If you find yourself thinking, man, my retirement account is set. I'll have enough money to live to 137. You have another problem, okay? In fact, let me just add this. There may be some of you here that are you're sitting here feeling pretty good about yourself because you've been doing the kind of things we're talking about. You have been save, saving, you have been faithful, and you are looking you know, pretty good as you think about this. You may need to consider if this is the principle that applies to you. You can take what God says about saving and you can push it to a place where it's not wise anymore, but it's actually sinful. So we need to save without hoarding. If you hoard, this is the kind of saving that actually is spiritually dangerous. The Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10. He says, people who want to get rich, how many of us want to get rich? Be honest. He says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, don't think of hoarding as the psychological condition that some people struggle with. What we're talking about here is anyone who wants to get rich anyone. What we're talking about here is anyone who loves money, and that includes some of us without a doubt. 
Anyone who wants to get rich, anyone who loves money, Paul says, can get trapped here. It is possible for you to get plunged into ruin and destruction. It is possible for you to wander away from your faith for money. It is possible for you to find yourself pierced through with many griefs. So Paul says, don't go there. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. You see, savings must never become something in which we place our trust. Our trust must always be in God. Now, we could talk even in more depth about this, but that's enough for this morning. You've heard these reasons that we should save, and you've heard some practical direction on how to save, but I still know what some of you are thinking, and here's what it is. Some of you are thinking, Mike, I can't afford to save. $10 a day? I don't have it. I, I, I have no margin. I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. I'm underwater. I can't find it. And actually, I would say I think you can. I was really challenged uh, a few years ago through the writings of a guy named David Bach. He's a financial advisor. He's written some best-selling books. Maybe you've read one of his books. He's had a show on PBS. And in his books and seminars, he talks about this principle he calls the latte factor. And I want you to consider this. I I was so nailed by this when I first heard it. It's actually kind of fun. I think you'll enjoy kind of walking through this. Uh, Here's Bach's contention. He says, all of us have the money to save. That's not the problem. We just waste it, and we usually waste it on small things that don't really even show up on our radar. We, We don't even realize that they're there. And he developed this principle, the latte factor, after a seminar where he had a couple come up to him and he had recommended this principle saving $10 a day and they said to him, we don't have $10 a day, we're living paycheck to paycheck. And he said, that's fine, let me ask you some questions about your life. He said, if it'd be okay, could we just walk through a a typical day for you? Let's just start in the morning. He, He said, before you go to work, he said, do you have coffee? The husband said, yeah. And he said, great. Do you make it at home or do you get it at work for free? He said, well, actually, we get it on the way to work. He said, we, we stop at Starbucks. And so David said, okay, well, what do you get at Starbucks? And this guy kind of shifted and looked at his wife and he said, um, well, grande non-fat latte. David Box said, well, what does that cost? And the wife said, well, we get two of them, about $6. This was a few years ago, by the way. <laughs> Some of you want to know, where can I get the $3 latte? <laughs> David Box said, do you get anything to eat with those lattes? And he said, well, yeah, usually a bagel or a muffin. That's like $1.75 each, so that's $3.50. And he's, David said, well, do you get a newspaper while you're there? And the guy said, yeah. And he said, that's like 50 cents. And they were just being nailed, you know. And, and so David Box said, let me just add this up. $6 for two lattes, three fifty for the muffins and bagels. And let's just say 50 cents for the paper. He said, I've already got you $10 and you haven't even gotten to work. And then he just kind of walked with him through the rest of the day. Here's what it looked like. The husband had candy bar and a Coke before noon, $2. Lunch was $8, burrito, Coke, chips, Parking was $10, 2 
two video rentals at the end of the day for the kids. That was $7.50. And then his wife totaled this up, juice and protein bar before noon. That was $6.25. Lunch was $9.50, a salad and an iced tea. She had another latte at 3 p.m. That was $3.50. And then takeout dinner for the family because they were all so tired and didn't want to cook, $25. And then finally, a $3 late fee for not returning the last movie videos on time. Now, you kind of smell this coming, right? The total for this couple was $85.75 in one day. Here's the question. What would we get for you if we just walked you through a normal day? Maybe not $85, but I will bet we would find a fair amount, right? All God's people said, See, now, here's the point, okay? This is not about guilt trips. This is not about dropping Starbucks, because I'm going to tell you as your pastor, dropping Starbucks is definitely not of God, all right? (laughs) I could show you the verses, but we don't have time, so. Now, this is what it is about. It is about a couple who said they couldn't find $10 a day to save, but they were spending almost $90 a day on things that they didn't need. And as David Bach pointed out, they didn't even have to change their entire lifestyle. If they had just made their own coffee at home, if they'd eaten an apple instead of a muffin or a bagel, that $10 at Starbucks turns into 50 cents. He said if they, if they had brought a lunch to work, even just one or two days a week, if they didn't rent as many videos, if they just took the videos back on time, they would begin to rack this up. And here's what really blew this couple away. Bach asked how old they were, and And the woman said that she was 23. And he said, well, let's say all you do is skip the latte and muffin in the morning. That's $5 a day. Let's say you take that and it's $150 a month or $2,000 a year. And you just slap that in a retirement account at 10%. He said to her, do you know how much you would have at 65 if all you do is skip the latte? And she said, well, I don't know like maybe 200,000? He said, try again. She said, okay, um, 500,000. He said, nope, try again. She said, I don't know. He said, well, how about $1.2 million? And she said, my lattes are costing me over a million (laughs) dollars? You know what? That is exactly the way we need to begin to think. Now, Some of you, you're going to quibble over the example. Some of you are going to think, ah, his interest rate is too high. Well, just choose a different number. The principle is still the same. Some of you might have this tendency to get paranoid over your spending. I talked about this last week. Don't do that. Whatever you do, don't let a side issue distract you and make you miss the main point. This is about how virtually all of us can find $10 a day to save to save instead of spending, every one of us. If you want to take this seriously, if you want to begin this part of of the journey to financial freedom, here's something kind of fun you can do. It's really simple. We'll call it the five-day challenge. You can start tomorrow. All you need to do is take those five days, Monday through Friday, into this week, and at the end of each day, you take a few minutes to write down everything you spent your money on. Now, if you're going to do this, don't get weird and stop doing stuff you normally do, okay? Just live your life, live your life normally, write it all down, and then at the end, add it all up and see what you have spent. And then ask yourself, what in this could I have easily 
cut. Was everything in this list really necessary? Did I even think some of this out? Ask yourself where you could make even small modifications that would get you to $10 a day, or for some of you, maybe much, much more. See, as the Bible tells us, as we've already seen, this all adds up. This all matters. So if you take everything that we've looked at, what would a savings and investment journey look like for your life? I want to take our final moments to map out a kind of a starter plan for saving. You just think of these as some baby steps. And if you've ever studied this, you've heard these sort of things before. Here's the first one. You start with a 30-day emergency reserve fund. Just make that your first step. Put all of your initial saving efforts into building this amount, and you just keep it in your checking account. I know, I know the interest won't be much at all, but that balance will eliminate check fees. That balance will stop the craziness of overdrafts. That will give you a cushion for emergencies. Some advisors recommend more than that, but but you're just starting off. So make this your first goal. And then number two, begin to work on debt. Complete a debt reduction plan. We're going to get into this in more depth next week. And I hope you'll come back because I am going to share with you some really cool stats from our most recent Financial Peace University class. Some of our own people, you're going to be amazed at what they were able to do in just a very brief period of time as they applied God's principles. But I just want to say today, if you're in debt... You're gonna, and you begin to pay this off, you'll understand this is just like savings. For example, you eliminate an 18% interest credit card and you quit, you pay that off and you get done with that. That's like you're putting 18% back into your life. Then number three, build a savings fund of between two to six months income. This is the sort of thing you put into a money market account uh, or maybe short-term CDs and you build this nest egg two to six months for things like major house repairs and vacations and furniture and Christmas, maybe down payments for cars or even for a home. And then finally, number four, you start your long-term investment plan for things like college or retirement. Now, for most of us, we will probably look at doing something like this through stocks, whether it's through a 401k or or through mutual funds. And I want to remind you what I said earlier, historically, uh, from 1926 to 2000. And of course, that's good times and bad. That includes a very, very long Great Depression. Through that period of time, stocks have returned an average of nearly 11%. And we know that during the 90s, it was average over 18%. But however you do it, your, your rule of thumb is that anything that is 10 years or more down the road, you shift from savings to investing. 10 years or less, you're, you're looking at a savings plan. But you begin to use these different vehicles to, to let the miracle of compound interest go to work for you. Uh, let, let me just say something I, I'm thinking about because Mother's Day is coming, thinking about families. You know, if you're a parent, especially if you have young children, I'm going to ask you, are you teaching your children to save? Most teenagers today save nothing. Charles Schwab did a survey and found more teenagers have cell phones and savings accounts. Now, don't criticize the teenagers. Let's be adults and take responsibility because who bought them? The cell phones. You know, who didn't help them figure out about a savings account? Do you know the average teenager in our country goes to college? Okay, this is before all the tuition. They go to college with over $1,500 in consumer debt. That's average. See, what are we doing to our kids? We're just setting them up for financial bondage. 
already in debt and their lives haven't even really started. I read something fascinating kind of on the other side of this, just something amazing to think about. If you have a 14-year-old and you put away $2,000 a year for five years and then stop, do this for them, and leave it alone, by 65, they could have over $2 million. Anybody here wish somebody had done that for you? See, we can help our children, but it starts with us. We have to be practicing God's wisdom in our lives. And it's just time and interest, time and interest, time and interest. I wonder if you ever heard a few years ago about the exploding piggy banks. Anybody see those? They were made by a Japanese toy company called Tommy, and they came out with this actual piggy bank. You could get it for your kids. And here's the way it worked. Once you activate it, it had a battery-powered the, the, the bank would shake and beep every hour if you didn't put a coin in. <laughs> and if you went an entire day without putting at least one coin in, it would explode. I was thinking about that. I mean, it's kind of crazy, but what a fascinating picture. Because the truth is, if you do not save regularly, your life will explode. Sooner or later, Sooner or later, you're setting yourself up. It's kind of like a ticking time bomb. And God's word is so clear about this, what wisdom is. Start saving. Start today. However you do it, find that $10 and get it working for you. Work towards these four saving goals. And you do that along with honoring God with your tithe. And you will soon find yourself moving down that road to financial freedom. And eventually, I think, You'll look around and you will be amazed at how God is blessed. Now, here's the last thing I want to say, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. Many of you, I know, are listening to this, and your response is despair. You are hearing all this, and you're agreeing with it, but you're saying to yourself, I have made too many mistakes. I have waited too long. What's the use? Here's what I want you to hear. Please listen. It is never too late to start obeying God. It is never too late to start following God's wisdom. And so begin today. It doesn't matter about your past. Do what God says. Do something. Do anything. I mean, just $10 a day. And if it's true that you and your situation really cannot find $10 a day, then do five or do two or even do one. Just do something. Anything is better than nothing. And if you find yourself hearing that and you're still not believing me, you're still not believing that this is true, then here's what I want to say to you as bluntly as I can. You're not believing God. You're not trusting God. Because it is God who says that money grows little by little, not me. And so I want to challenge you. Will you trust God enough to follow his wisdom? Will you begin to do what he says and save even when all outward appearances say it won't work or tell you that it really won't matter? I want to say this again. I've told you this before, but it needs to be just hammered home. How we handle our money is always ultimately a spiritual issue, always ultimately about our relationship with God, even when it comes to something as seemingly mundane as savings. So listen to God, 
listen to his wisdom, start obeying him today. Would you bow your heads as we pray? Father, we give you thanks again for the incredible way that your word intersects our daily lives. And Lord, we recognize that you are Lord of all reality, and that includes our finances. So Lord, would you give us wisdom to align our lives with what is real, with your reality? Father, would you open our eyes so we can see the ways we haven't followed your truth or your wisdom, and would you just give us the courage to confess sin where we need to? Lord, we ask you to strengthen us to begin obeying you, even if the steps we take seem so small. Please protect us from despair, Father, and Lord, as we follow you in obedience and as we honor you, we just ask that you and your faithfulness would bless and honor us with your favor. We pray all these things now in your son's holy and precious name. And all God's people together said, amen.